0: Hey, guys, it's Edge Martinez. They call me the voice of New York. And 50 years ago, hip-hop started right here in New York City, and we're celebrating the five boroughs all year long. Check out nyctourism.com forward slash hip-hop for cultural stories, events, interviews, and
1: more. nyctourism.com forward slash hip-hop.
2: This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time, work,
1: Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, everyone. It's Lindsay Rhodes, and I've got a new podcast, the NFL Roadshow Show Good morning or good evening, whenever you're listening to this podcast. How's it going, everyone? This is uh, Tyler Dunn of golongtd.com here with the great Jim Monis. Long-time person. I'm calling you a long-time person now, man. Long time. Multiple decades in the game, scouting, Eagles, Saints, Bills. Now he's here with Golong. Um, it's been a lot of fun, Jim. And I'm glad we're here for episode number three, and we are here at beautiful Hamburg Brewing right on Boston State Road, right off Route 219, right in front of this fireplace, the best beer on the planet. It's a pleasure to be here talking football with you. Tyler, this is great to be back, and who would have thought episode
0: three, we'd be here at a brewing company having a little breakfast beer to kick this thing off, and you've recommended Frosty, the IPA, before. It's my first time
1: having it, and we're off to a good start. I tell you, it's making me ready to tell some stories. It's it's the best. I mean, I have a difficult time figuring out what my favorite beer here is. I think everybody out there who has maybe followed me on social media knows that I just love tweeting and talking about this beer, and it's genuine. I mean, this is just the best beer in Western New York and beyond. The IPA is pretty damn good, Jim. It's good. I mean, Louis is still number one to me. I think that's the number one IPA in all of Buffalo. But, man, there's something about this frosty this time of year that hits you just right. And is it best at breakfast or is it okay any time of day? I think it's uh, I think it's good any time of day. Now, it's uh, originally we were going to record this like at, at 9 a.m. and we're thinking, oh, is that too early for a beer? And, you know, we, we get talk about football and – our buddy Matt Piazza here, the the amazing manager, he brings in some Paula Donuts for us, and we're just you know drinking beers. Next, and so now it's like you know 10:30, so I think it's a little more fair game to drink a little beer, right? It's the holidays too. It's
0: to me, it's tailgating. We've all done it. We've been to college football games, you get your drinking in before the yes. noon kickoff, and then you have the post game tailgate as well. I mean, this is this is
1: talking football, drinking beer. It's what we do. Awesome. And this is definitely going to be a partnership with Hamburg. You'll hear their name a lot on this podcast, and we just love drinking their beer. And we're going to be here at the brand. You can come pick up some beer for takeout, get some retail, the best beer in the world. So, Jim, a lot to talk about. Um, two weeks to go until the playoffs. Starting to figure out, you know, what teams are legit, what teams aren't. We're going to get into some of that. We're going to talk. Some coaches, and see some coaches get fired, some coaches get hired. You've been a part of that process as well as uh, Doug Whaley. I imagine there are some stories to tell in that department. Um, but where do you want to start with this, uh, episode number
0: three? Well, I think we don't need to speak about the Bills-Broncos game, I don't think. I mean, I think that took care of itself pretty well. Um, you know, at halftime, you're sitting there thinking, wow, how is this even a game? How are the Broncos even one score down? But to come out of the second half? and just kind of put your stamp on it like they did. And Josh Allen continues to do what he's doing. And like we said, we don't need to talk about him anymore. It's time to see him do it in the playoffs. And it's the same thing for Lamar Jackson, same thing for Baker Mayfield. It's time to see it in the playoffs, and that's where we're at. Um, Really looking forward to seeing – pay attention right now to what teams are healthy. And that, that is big for the playoff run. Who's built to win outside, see where teams are playing. The seedings are important. It's not about the crowds. It's about weather. You know, Cleveland's been battle tested in weather this year. Mayfield's played in horrible weather and shown that that team is built for some bad weather. Tennessee's built for some bad weather. Bills, I think, are built for bad weather. They really are. They have the running game. They have two backs, especially Moss right now, who's starting to, you know, has really shown some things here lately, especially the number one thing he shows is he's got that grit. And that's what you want from your running back. The offense linemen love that. Hey, it's cold out. We can hand you the ball. You're not going to fumble.
2: Yeah, kind of gain
1: some extra yards. We'll fight for you all day. Let's start there, then. I mean, I think we spend so much time talking about quarterbacks. Guilty as charged. I mean, I've probably written about Patrick Mahomes, you know, more than I should, but he's also he's also Michael Jordan, as we like to say on this program. I was waiting to see how long it would be before his name came out of your
0: mouth. <laughs> that was that was
1: pretty good. That was pretty well. Cool. Only about what five six minutes if that. So. Yeah, but we, we talk Mahomes, we talk Aaron Rodgers, Josh Allen, and I get it, justifiably so. I mean, they are the storylines this year. No doubt about it. But it was pretty wild, Jim, as I worked on that story that you kind of referenced there on, on Zach Moss at GoLong, which by the way, anybody out there, if you'd like to subscribe, be eternally grateful, seven bucks a month, 70 a year, goalongtd.com, stories right to your email inbox. Great conversation with Zach Moss recently, and, you know, what struck me was this was kind of like right in the thick of things. When when they're winning, things are going great. He's kind of sharing duties with Devin Singletary. But even Zach Moss kind of said, look, I'm at my best when I can get a feel for the defense, when I can wear out a defense, and I get it. A lot of backs are going to say that they want the ball. But him at Utah, I mean, he had, to think, what, 240 broken tackles over three years, that's his style. He wears you down. I mean, this is somebody who played linebacker his entire life, somebody who um, is inspired by beast mode. Marshawn Lynch watches Lynch before every game in his locker, 10, 15 minutes, the same clips again and again. He calls his own running style Moss Mode. I think that there is something to needing that mashing, smashing, reliable presence, letting him get comfortable, letting him get a feel for those linebackers during the course of a game. And and my point being, you know, if you look at some of the quarterbacks who've had historically great seasons, Jim, Aaron Rodgers in 2010, he does not win a Super Bowl without James Starks coming onto the scene, as you know. I mean, they they had no running game most all of that season after they lost Ryan Grant in, in Week 1. They had Brandon Jackson for a bit, and then Starks comes on out of UB. You know, somebody folks here in Western New York are familiar with. Gets hot, runs for well over 100 against the Eagles with a touchdown. And then in that NFC championship NFC Championship game when Rodgers is outplayed by Caleb Haney, I mean, he was. Caleb Haney had a better passer rating than Aaron Rodgers that day. Um, he was not good. James Starks gets a tough 75 yards and a touchdown against the number two run defense in the NFL. They go to the Super Bowl, and then obviously Rodgers is amazing. I mean, we could go on and on. Peyton Manning doesn't win a Super Bowl without Dominic Rhodes. Joseph Adai, their numbers were unbelievable that playoff run. And I'm not so sure Patrick Mahomes is able to hang on and win that Super Bowl without Damian Williams. I mean, he was remarkable against San Francisco when nothing was going right for Mahomes. He kept him in the game, and then he was the one who obviously closed it with that haymaker touchdown run late. So I think that there's that inclination for us all to just kind of crap on running backs all the time and say, you know, you don't need this player in today's NFL when all these quarterbacks are putting up all these insane numbers. In January, like you said, the weather gets the weather gets worse. Green Bay is gonna be a number one seed. It's gonna be bitter, bitter, freaking cold in Green Bay. It's gonna be cold in Kansas City. You gotta be able to win with somebody on the ground who's not gonna fumble, who's gonna grind out a game, and I think the team that kinda has that player will persevere. The Bills running game hasn't been that great this year, but I don't I'm not so sure if, if it's because Zach Moss isn't that good. I think Zach Moss is really good. They just have to feed him the ball more.
0: When you think about what defensive coordinators are game planning to beat Mahomes, beat Aaron Rodgers, these guys are so talented. You have to put so much effort into how do we slow this offense down with these great quarterbacks. Well, then, if you put on a running game with these quarterbacks, how, how do you beat that? How do you stop the Chiefs when they're ready to? If they want to commit to the run, now that injury um to the LSU, oh, that works, yeah. that, that's one to pay attention to, I think. Um, because he's, man, he's special. Like, and I think they have some plans for him, because they know that. Andy Reid knows that. When we are in Philadelphia, we had Deuce Daly, Carell Buckhalter from
1: Nebraska, yeah. and Brian Westbrook. you Dorsey Levens for a little bit, too, right? On the downside. Okay, right. Yeah. So many backs came through there.
0: But the glory years, those NFC championship years, I call them before, you know, and then they made the Super Bowl. But, I mean, that... You're sitting there trying to – you're dealing with Donovan and McNabb. And then you have to deal with those running backs, and they all had a different skill set, which I think mm-hmm. is important because that different skill set can mess with you as a defense as well. And the Bills have a nice little combo that they have with Moss and Singletary. Um, and I just think it's important, and we had it in New Orleans. You know, we had Deuce McAllister, Reggie Bush, Pierre Thomas. During our Super Bowl year, we were ranked fifth or sixth in the NFL in rushing that year. People wow. forget about that. And we had a hell of an offensive line. And they love run blocking. They don't want to throw every play. Jairi Evans, who was our Pro Bowl um, right guard from Bloomsburg University, he he used to say, "Man, he's like, can we run the ball a little bit? I mean, we want because you know, for for great quarterbacks and great coach, when coaches have a great quarterback, first person, person ten, I can get four or five yards easy throwing the ball. Yeah, it's easy. And and they they get excited. And then now you're in second and five. Now you have some things to mess with. And it's hard for them sometimes to get away. They want to throw a replay when you have the right guy at quarterback because it really is that simple. But there's going to be a game. There's going to be, a, there's going to be weather. There's going to be something off. And if you can go back to that just
1: to get you back to, you know, let's keep moving the ball. It, it's, it's demoralizing for a defense. You know, that's such a great point, Jim. I mean, these offensive linemen, they would rather be moving forward than moving backward. You know, as a, as a football player, you would much rather be inflicting pain upon others in that direction as opposed to retreating the other direction. And does that kind of, so you've been around some just uh, incredible teams. Does that really speak to like the mindset and mentality of a team? Like if, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that this podcast, we're, we're telling stories and we're always highlighting just the human side of the game beyond the numbers, right? I mean, there's a lot of numbers out there. We can bang our heads. Against a wall, talking about statistics. This isn't a game that's in a freaking Microsoft Excel spreadsheet. But is there something to be said that when in the playoffs, you've got linemen moving forward, kicking ass, playing, you know, that attacking mentality, and that 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 is needed in general, as opposed to finesse, pass-heavy. As good as your pass attack might be, is there any intangible there that you've seen on your teams? Coach Payton with the Saints
0: used to always say. We're going to throw to score points and get the lead. We're going to run to finish the game. It's, it's an absolute necessity. If you can score points in the first half and get a lead and then come out in the second half and, and then start beating the team up physically, they're, they're not that they're going to quit because that's not something football NFL players, they don't quit, but they definitely know, you know, when you're beaten sometimes and if you're getting pushed around, you can't stop that run. It's, you're not going to stop the pass. And and that's what I can't wait to pay attention to um, as we move forward here these last couple weeks to see you know who, how it shakes out and then you see the seedings and the matchups paying attention to who's going where and who's playing who but you look at the Pittsburgh Steelers man they can't run the ball you know they were they were a little bit smoke and mirrors with their record in my opinion but um, they're certainly a good football team when healthy injuries take place they don't run the ball. Well, you know they lost some offensive linemen. They haven't run the ball well all year. They don't really have a, a stud running back. You know, Connor's a, a give it your best, bang ahead guy, but he's not special. Um, but he's tough. Mm-hmm. He's off the charts tough. And if you can get your lead and then lean on them a little bit with your offensive line and Connor, that's what makes them good. They don't have that right now, and they're losing to the Bengals in the most important time of the year. They're not peaking right now, and. You no, know, it's a, it's a credit to training staffs and pay attention. You know, the training staffs are important, the goal has put a lot of effort into developing a first class training facility to keep these guys healthy and to really, really know when to back off guys in practice and back off guys during the week to get these guys ready for this part of the season. I promise you that, and I know, I know Sean McDermott is big on this is he, you want to be healthy. You want your team full strength
1: for the playoffs and the Bills are pretty healthy. That's a fantastic point. I, I think it's a marathon, and they're peaking at the right time. I, I, we texted a lot through September and October there, and I think what shocked us both was, like, what's up with this defense, right? I mean, and there, there might still be some hidden problems with that run defense, but <clears throat> over time, they kind of figured it out. Over time, they got healthier. They're, they're in a good spot right now, health-wise. Um, you know, I want to ask you this, too, like, I'm just thinking back to when I was in Green Bay and there was a stretch there between, you know, 2011 when they just put up all those insane numbers. They went 15-1. and one. And in between then and 2013-2014 when they, they drafted Eddie Lacy and he was really, really good before he ate his way out of the NFL, there was a period there where it was like, I remember defenses were playing Aaron Rodgers two safeties back. I mean, they were just begging Green Bay to run. You know, and they they just couldn't, you know, they had – God, they had Cedric Benson for a couple weeks and then he gets hurt for the year. They, Dewan Harris, Alex Green, James Starks could have been that guy, but he, you know, he just had so many injuries. Um, is there any team out there, you know, all we we're talking about all these quarterbacks. So, which team with one of these quarterbacks on one of these offenses where, you know, they're going to leave that defense no choice but to sit back, right? I think teams are probably going to have to play the bills like that at some point. Can they run? Can Kansas City run? Can, well, Green Bay, I mean, maybe that's why we like Green Bay. Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, A.J. Dillon, they can take advantage of that. How do you expect defenses to kind of play these quarterbacks and and which offense has, you know, the running game to react accordingly? You don't
0: ever want to be, you know, just dominant in one phase, obviously. You don't want to just be known as they can throw but they can't run. They can run but they can't throw. And you look at the Bills can do both for sure. And we haven't really seen necessarily seen them commit, but you have to – Factor in Josh as a running back as well. It's true. And, you know, just like you would Lamar, just like you do, you know, Kyler Murray a little bit with Arizona. I mean, you those guys are part of the running game because you have to pay attention on the RPOs to those guys. But when you look at Tennessee, their combination of Tannehill and Henry and their receiving core and tight end, I offensively, ten, Tennessee's defense has let them down. That team is really, that's a team I'm really keeping my eye on because of The running game and I think Tannehill is a top 10 quarterback. He has really developed it. He and Josh Allen have really proven where you can get, you can improve as a quarterback and you need to be healthy. You need to be in the same system and yet helps to have a running game for Tannehill. Sure. But his play action passes, his deep balls of those receivers, Davis and Brown and and Smith, the tight end, that team to me is really a team I'm, I'm, I think is built to win offensively in the playoffs. Their defense is what I'm really surprised how they haven't been able to hold up their end. You know, and that's one thing that you love to see when we, you know the year we won the Super Bowl with the Saints, I know we go back to our references, what we were a part of. But everybody talks about Breeze and the offense and the record numbers that we put up that year on offense passing, running. Our defense was phenomenal taking the ball away. And and, and look for the teams that are ta- look at the defenses that have high takeaway numbers. And those are, you know, those are the teams. You can't turn the ball over. We talk about it every week. Turnovers are it in football. That's it. And these teams, you know, the teams that are taking advantage of those opportunities, Tennessee gets any type of play on
1: defense. They're going to be really hard to beat. Let's, let's talk about Tennessee and I want to get into Baltimore and Lamar Jackson too. But with these Titans, I was just looking at Ryan Tannehill's numbers myself the other day and it's like, what? I mean, we should be putting his name up there with everybody else we're talking about. And I get a big part of it is Derrick Henry, right? Like you got to stop this mm. beast at running back. So you're going to get those one-on-ones with AJ Brown, Corey Davis, but I mean, his numbers—he's thrown less than 30 pass attempts in seven games this year, right? So it's not like they're just chucking it all over the place. And even then, Jim—he's got 3,482 yards. 31 passing touchdowns, only five picks. This is running stats. I mean, he had two last week. I mean, rushing the ball. He's a threat as well. I mean, he's as about as an efficient quarterback as you're going to find in the NFL right now. And I, I think he's taken a step from last year and last year we, we obviously knew, know how far he came, but, uh, are they a legit Super Bowl contender?
0: It's hard to say they are with their defense being so shaky. You know, that's the disappointing part for them. How do you beat Kansas City with a shaky defense? You know, same with the Browns. I don't know how good they're – I don't know if I believe in their defense either. Mm. You know, I know they played well against Colt McCoy and the boys the other night, but – Colt McCoy, the (laughs) – You probably listen to them. Colt McCoy, the boys. (laughs) (laughs) But to me, if you don't have a great defense, it's hard for me to say you can beat Kansas City. Yeah. And I think the Bills are showing they're one of the teams that has the offense to match the firepower with KC – and the defense, the secondary for the Bills is starting to play. They're making some plays again, and that's good for them. They're catching at the right time, and, and that's what's going to separate Baltimore Ravens secondary. It, I think is outstanding. And another team that can run the ball, can they throw well enough to put up the points to keep up with the Chiefs and the Bills? Will be the question. Can they make plays in the passing game? And but Baltimore and the Bills, I think have, you know, Baltimore has to make the playoffs. Obviously, they're fighting. But that defense, that secondary is good enough to, I think, at least give Kelsey and, and that and, and Hill a little bit of headache. At least make
1: you work for it. Well, let's talk about Lamar Jackson because we, we we tend to agree a lot on this show, which doesn't make for, for good radio, good podcasting sometimes. So let's disagree, Jim, in front of this fireplace over a couple beers. Maybe things get physical. I don't know. Maybe, maybe we, we go at it a little bit.
0: It has a setting here. We could do it, but yeah. nobody's, watching. nobody's what's, watching. What's the point?
1: Yeah. Matt, John John Jr., John Sr., they're not around. We could really have a ruckus here over Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Maybe one more beer. One more beer. Yeah. A couple IPAs that really hit you. And then you know? we'll be ready. So you don't like him? You hate him? You're anti-Lamar. Lamar is a certainly
0: a top 10 quarterback in this league right now. And like we can talk about proven in playoffs. I just feel like I don't, you always want to talk about with a player, does he have a fatal flaw or not? I don't think his passing is a fatal flaw. I don't. He makes some spectacular throws on the move, especially. I, I do think that tight end is a big part of their passing game and really bails him out on some incredible catches. Um, he's going to have to find a way to consistently keep drives going by converting third and sevens, third and eights quick time, you know it's not always you can't do it with your legs all the time there's going to be a time where you're going to have to make some of this and he's certainly capable of doing it i just need to see it more consistently i see too often where they fall behind are they coming back that's a great question and you're the you know you defend him because do you feel like if they're down 10 nothing to the bills you know right off the bat or do you feel confident that he's going to be able to you know
1: maybe 10 nothing too close you know, 17 up. That's that's the question that I have with Lamar Jackson, and um, I can throw another plug in there. We do have a story on Lamar Jackson. I could go long. I talked to his uh, private quarterbacks coach, Joshua Harris, who, by the way, he's a high school English teacher. He's got four kids of his own that are in elementary, middle, high school, and college, and he's just coaching Lamar Jackson, too. You know, they, they talk every week. So when I asked him that question, he just laughed. He said, "I hear that all the time. It's not true." He goes, let me tell you this: in our training, I put Lamar in adverse situations constantly, and he thrives in it. He loves it. And look at his record—he just hasn't really been in that situation a heck of a lot. I think there's something to that, but it's, it's true. I mean, third and long—I don't have the number. Here's a case where we do kind of need a metric, but they're not very good in third and longs. It just—that's just the fact. I do think, though that he's peaking. I think that that there were, some would call them excuses for the reigning MVP. I think it was just reality. I mean, early in the season, you saw, a lot, I mean, Harris admitted this himself, a lot of teams did take that Titans blueprint. As Logan Ryan kind of put, we used to engage eight on Madden. We loaded up the box, brought a DB down, to spy on Lamar to take away that running ability or try to. There's that. There's the fact that he didn't really train with Marquise Brown as much as we all kind of assume. You know, a couple of pitchers go viral. We all think, oh, they're training together. Also. Well, not really. I mean, it was just a couple times. Um, there's Brown himself having all these drops. There's Marshall Yanda. I mean, maybe a Hall of Fame guard caliber. He's right up there. And a Perennial All-Pro, they lose him. I think that stung a little bit more than they were anticipating. Lamar Jackson has a little bit of a knee injury, and then Lamar Jackson and several Ravens get COVID, lost a sense of taste, lost a sense of smell, was sleeping all the time, was in a lot of pain. I think now, finally, against the Browns and the Cowboys and the Jaguars, I get it, not exactly murderer's Row, but uh, he looks like himself. He looks like MVP Lamar, Mm. who, who can be unstoppable. And I get it. Like, God, I mean, I... Get what you're saying, what Kurt Warner says on needing to just deliver from the pocket on third and eight with the right throw again and again and again. But maybe Lamar Jackson is just so freaking good and athletic and fast and elusive that he takes all these rules and all these things. We think about the quarterback position, balls it up, throws it out. I, I think he, outside of Patrick Mahomes, he might be the most dangerous player in the postseason. And there's not a defensive coordinator that wants to play Baltimore. Like we talked about on episode two, right, right. Vic? And
0: it's, you don't want any part of that because of, not to mention all the physical traits you mentioned. How about his competitiveness and his toughness and the fact that he doesn't really lose? Like, doesn't experience, like, so I like Lamar Jackson. I certainly think he's a top 10 quarterback. I just get concerned on when you see guys having to lay out on third and six and, and he's making them work to make a catch and barely get the first down. You know, keep those guys moving. Yeah. Keeping guys – you know, you can – there's so many plays where if the accurate quarterbacks keep guys on the move, third and six, they make a great route. Boom, break it off. You hit him right, that could be a 20-yard yeah. game. You know, because most times teams are probably blitzing and trying to get to the quarterback, and that's there's going to be some room for run after the catch. He's not letting his guys do work after the catch on some of these throws. And that's what bothers me with Lamar. But as far as him being a nightmare, 100%, top 10 guy. Can, can they win a Super Bowl with Lamar? Yes, of course they can. But for me personally, you know, if I'm putting together a team, you know, I, I'm, I told, I'm, still, I, I'm leaning Josh Allen over okay. Lamar. And, and before the season, I would have laughed at that question, but the, the fire that Josh plays with and his ability to do both, throw and run, you know, it's a credit to everybody involved, like we've talked about. But that's where I just see Lamar needing to take that next step. And to be honest, I hope he proves me wrong because to, to watch Lamar, the more we can watch Lamar play, the more fun football is. Yeah.
1: There's also concern over all the hits he takes. There's a quarterbacks coach I talked to for, for that story that <clears> I mentioned, and he said, "Look, I I love Lamar Jackson. He can make all the throws. He thinks he can make all the throws. He drives defensive coordinators insane, but the, the injuries. He, like he just is susceptible to that." it's six two, you know, two twelve soaking wet. He's not afraid to take a shot. He's not he's not really like Kyler Murray sliding two yards behind the line of scrimmage. He'll try to fight to get three or four yards in that situation or more. And we might only see this Lamar Jackson, this version of him for another three or four years. That that's where my concern would be. It's like his window is not necessarily that big. It has to be a major
0: concern. You watch that Saints Chiefs game from the other day and here we're gonna go talk about Mahomes, <laughs> but I don't know if I've seen a quarterback get beat up more than that. The Saints physically destroyed him, didn't faze him one bit. Does Lamar survive games like that? I don't know. I don't, you know, because he's in the, you know, Mahomes is in the pocket just get drilled, and but Lamar is certainly tough enough to do it and come back from it, and that's gonna be. That's going to be the biggest question for Baltimore moving forward, especially this year. Duke, first of all, they have to make the playoffs and then do they advance? If they don't, that's a front office that's going to have to sit down and really consider, is this the right way to go right now? You know, I'm, and not, we're talking no. about a guy that was an MVP. You think they'd get to that point? Well, I think you have to discuss it. If you aren't winning playoff games, like the regular season is preparing for the playoffs. That's what the great teams do. Let's get to the playoffs healthy and let's go win this thing. Well, and it starts with you gotta win a game in the playoff. You gotta really show that you you can't be the reason as a quarterback that your team is being
1: held back. You know, it's also kind of uh, just wild with that. Remember who he replaced? He replaced Joe Flacco, who, you know, I think we all agree that was the way to go. But like Joe Flacco, like for one playoff run, had one of the most amazing playoff runs in NFL history. He got hot. Like he was that accurate guy from the pocket. He, He made the right throw again and again and again, and, I mean, it's such, like, a anomaly in, in the annals of pro football, but, like, it's, so you're kind of saying that. You don't know if Lamar Jackson can, can be that accurate game after game after game as a passer, kind of like Flacco was. have to see it. I really, I, I hate to
0: say he can't because I know he has it. You know he can. And it's not that he can't throw, but he certainly can throw the ball. It's can you do the, can you fine-tune it where you're letting guys work after the catch? And that's a big part of, of the NFL. You see you see what the Bills are doing this year, with run after a catch. Some yeah. of those guys have been outstanding. You know, the Chiefs have guys that are just nightmares after the
1: catch. Such a good point on hitting a guy in stride oh. that we don't really appreciate when we watch a game, you know. Like you kind of see, you know, maybe Lamar is evading three or four guys to even attempt that throw. Um, but, gosh, if, if you hit a guy in stride, a, a six-yard game can turn into a 60 yard game. I think Tannehill does it with those guys. They're they're great after the catch.
0: I think Mayfield does it. Great. I think he lets those guys keep moving. And I think that's kind of what, uh, obviously Mahomes and, and the great ones. But, but that's why Tannehill and Mayfield, to me, and Josh Allen have really taken a step where these they're letting these guys work now. And I just that's the next step for me for Lamar is hey make, don't make them work so
1: hard on some easier plays. Absolutely. Well, we're gonna get into that in and. Heck of a lot more real quick. Let's hit one of our sponsors. We are powered by Blue Wire, by the way. I forgot to mention that at the start of the podcast. Our incredible hosts for the Dunn and Monas Go Long podcast here. Uh, but we are also sponsored by Bet Online. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win the season, from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props. BetOnline gives you more options to waiver than anywhere else. You can get in on their season, opening bonuses today, and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline, online today to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That's BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.com. A-G. That's blue wire, all one word. Bet online, your online sports book experts. And as our listeners know, Jim, you never gamble. So,
0: no, I always make sure to tell you don't gamble, but if you're going to go to bet online, yes. use the promo code. I'm, I may have to look that up later. We got NBA started last night, Brooklyn Nets looking strong, minus seven and a half, nice easy cover to get the thing rolling. So definitely go to bet online. What do you want to talk about next, Jim? What should we hit? Well, I think we're in that time of year where let's talk about could the Bills' biggest offseason question mark be if they lose the offensive coordinator, Brian Dable? And how important will that hire be for Sean McDermott? When you start throwing around, when you hear stories that Dable and Josh Allen have a father-son type relationship right now, that's special. Um, Saints still have the same offensive coordinator, quarterback coach that they had when we won Super Bowl. Joe Lombardi, Pete Carmichael, we talked about last week, about Pete Carmichael should get an interview for a head coaching job, in my opinion. But that's a special connection. And how much – this is Dable's offense. This This offense is designed like the Kansas City Chiefs look. I mean, you see the same plays when you watch these teams where you're getting mismatches. They're creating mismatches by formations personnel groupings, that's a credit to the coach. Then Josh carries it out. You lose that, who's the hire? Is it Dorsey? Is he the next guy? We don't know that. We're not inside the building right now, so we don't know that relationship and, and how special that is and how important that is. But that's going to be a major thing. And you think about, does Dable go to the Jets? Does Dable go to the Chargers where a guy that he went to high school with, uh, Tom Telesco, is the GM? Do they say, hey, we're getting Dable, and let's go with Herbert. Let's get this thing rolling. Um, that's going to be fascinating to watch to see how – who would Sean bring in? Is it from the staff? If it's from within, that's a really good sign. You'd love to be able to promote from within. If it's from outside, now you're talking about – they have to connect. He and Josh Allen are going
1: to have to develop a relationship. That's scary. Man, and if I'm Terry Pagula – Running the show, I'm doing everything in my power to keep Brian Dable right. Like we've seen some of these offensive coordinators who can kind of pick their spot. Stay Josh McDaniels in, in New England. I mean, we, I don't know, New Orleans. Remember any examples? Who was the offensive coordinator? Pete Carmo is still there. Still there. That's a great point. I mean, imagine there can be a lure of home that he's from here. Um, play that up a little bit. It's it's an ownership group that hasn't hasn't had a problem paying coaches to leave. And here's a coach that you would like to keep. So why not do everything in your power to keep him and keep this thing going? Because you're right. I mean, he's going to be at the top of the list. If I'm the LA Chargers, I mean, I'm trying to blow him away. I mean, can you imagine pairing him with Justin Herbert and all those weapons? It's, it's It'd be unbelievable. You can legitimately contend with the Chiefs in that division. It's...
0: It's going to be really fun to see this, this, it's going to be wild after the season this year as far as head coaching GMs. I, I don't remember an off season where it's going to be this wide open as far as openings go, who's going yeah. where. I know one thing and you said it. If you want to keep Dable, there's a funny thing called paying him and <laughs> it may be worth it. And it's a hard thing. You know, it's, it's, I shouldn't say it's a hard thing, but I mean, you look at, see what Josh McDaniel's contract is and maybe you go that route and do whatever you can to keep him, and you got to, you know, but either way, you wouldn't be able to keep him if he's all about, how can you tell a guy not to take a chance? Two million a year or six million a year, head coach, offensive coordinator, that's, you can't tell a
1: guy not to turn down that, you know? But what is, and here's where maybe I I should have done a little more homework, but, like, what's his contract situation? Because every head coach deals with this different. I mean, there are some head coaches who love to see their assistants Get opportunities elsewhere. And in Green Bay, Mike McCarthy looked at it like, Hey, look, I'm giving you security. You're under contract. You're not going to get fired that they very rarely ever scapegoated position coaches and fired them. But he wouldn't let them interview anywhere. He blocked those interviews again and again and again. I mean, after they went 15 and one, the year after they won the Super Bowl, I think there's a lot of coaches that would have loved to have advanced their careers and Mike McCarthy didn't allow it. I, I I'm not sure where Sean McDermott stands on this all.
0: Sean came out and said he would love to see those guys get opportunities. And my guess with Sean. He's so well prepared that next hire. He knows who it's going to be right now, or at least who he wants to try to get for that position. He, it wouldn't be something where he'd be scrambling. Sean is prepared for this probably before the season. So, you know, you have to trust it. He'll be able to, you know, you like to trust coaches and, and really to me, when you study coaches, head coaches, who they hire yeah. says something about them. and, and Sean hiring Leslie Frazier, and Dable says that Sean has a good idea of what he wants his team to look like, and he found the men to execute it, the right coaches to execute it, and that's a credit to Sean as a leader.
1: Which the first offseason there, I mean, when you guys hired him, as we've talked about, you had something to do with him getting that interview. I mean, there weren't a lot of great coaches available for Sean McDermott to kind of pick from. I mean, that was a – Really rough offensive staff. I mean, do you remember that period much? What was that like? Part of the interview process with when we interviewed those coaches was, you know, to
0: go through who they w- would wanted as their coordinators, and even we went through every position coach as well. We wanted them to have three deep mm-hmm. coordinator: quarterback coach, receiver coach, linebacker coach. And Sean, obviously, he had it ready to roll. Every coach did that we interviewed. Sean's was very extensive, and he didn't get his his first pick as all, you know, Rick Dennison wasn't his first choice, but he didn't get the guys he wanted. So he went and got Dennison. Well, then it wasn't looking the way he wanted it to look. He did his research or if he had a relationship with Dable, that I don't know. Dable was never on his original list when we interviewed him as far as his top three offensive coordinator. So he must've done some serious you know, research on how he wanted his offense to look. So those guys are prepared, you know, for their next hire and how important it is to hire your coordinators. But when you do those coaching searches, and we'll talk to Doug Willie about it later, he was, I wasn't a part of the Rex Ryan coaching search. that ended with Rex. But in our coaching search, when we had Sean, Anthony Lynn, Harold Goodwin, who's with Tampa right now, he was with Arizona at the time, and Chris Richard, who is now with, don't know. He was with Seattle at the Dallas? time. I don't know if they still have him. That's That's on me to check that. But with all those guys, Sean was by far, you know, we felt like the most prepared as far as putting a staff together. And it really said something to some of these other coaches, like you hope, hopefully they took some of that on there, you know, as they move forward saying, Hey, I really need to be a little more ready to who I'm going to put a staff together.
1: Just for, uh, to be the podcast of record here to clean it up. Chris Richard, not a coach right now anywhere. Last coach with Dallas, 2018-2019, DBs used DC at Seattle before then, 15 to 17 DBs, 12 to 14 before that. So that's kind of surprising. I would have thought he'd be somewhere. Right he now. was
0: very I've, impressive. Um, he, he must be trying to figure out his yeah. next move probably, because um, he's really had a rough. He was on the head, hot
1: list for head coaches. Now you're fired out of the league. It's crazy how that works. Crazy how it works. God, I mean, I just we could we could spend an hour talking about this, but like I'm just so just so fascinated by, like, what makes you a head coaching candidate. Like, in Green Bay, anybody that was in Aaron Rodgers' peripheral view, you know, has a shot, right, to move up in in the world, Mm -hmm. wherever you are, if you're a receiver looking for more money, if you're a coach looking for a promotion. And, like, I think Aaron Rodgers was at his best when Alex Van Pelt, somebody you know, was his quarterback's coach. I think Van Pelt pushed him in a way other assistants couldn't. And yet, you know, Van Pelt, you know, ne- doesn't get that opportunity. I think when his con- – so Mike McCarthy wouldn't let him interview. And then when his contract was up and he'd have that opportunity, it was the year that Rodgers got hurt in this half the year. So it's like, wh- how's that for timing? But along the way, Ben McAdoo, a quarterback's coach, who came up under Mike McCarthy, was a tight ends coach, coach before that, he's the one who gets that big shot with the New York Giants. And I don't – I mean, I don't know if McAdoo was ever really that qualified If never really deserved that opportunity to, to coach a flagship man. I mean, a I, I Van Pelt or somebody else probably was, was more deserving. It's what everybody's going to ask about um, Eric the Enemy this year,
0: you know, because obviously he's the hot name, almost name your job, you would think, as a head coach. But if I'm interviewing the Enemy, you better make sure that – forget the offensive stats with KC. I, I really feel like there's <laughs> – Andy Reid has put that thing together. So, are you dra- are you going to hire Beany because he coached Mahomes? You better not. You better be hiring him because he is ready to change the culture of your building. We've talked about this in every phase: equipment room, training room, front office, marketing. You better you you better have your hand on everything, and that to me will show you who's prepared to be a head coach and a leader, and not just hey. I'm going to put my offense in and we'll be fine. That's not how it works. I mean, you shouldn't get credit for coaching Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, good job. <laughs> good job coaching Patrick Mahomes. But, I mean, we're talking about a head coach. You need to oversee
1: everything. Well, I'm glad you brought up Eric Bien. I mean, that's the name that we're going to be talking about a lot. Everybody will be. Um, and I just was having this conversation with Quincy Avery. Um, he's Sean Watson's private quarterback coach. He probably knows Watson better than Watson knows himself. I mean, they talk daily. Um, they go back, way back to, you know, high school, college days. Anyways, you know, his whole point in the story we had up at Golong was, like, they need to hire the head coach first. We've talked about this privately before, too. Like, you got to have one guy in charge. One, you know, make that hire clear, and it's okay for that to be that Bob Lamont model, that Andy Reid model of, like, you're the coach, you're in charge, Bring in the GM who's going to find your players. And when you have a guy like Deshaun Watson, who's transcendent, who's having a career year, by the way, on a four-win team, maybe that's the way to go. And he was a little concerned because there were reports when we talked that the Texans were, you know, thinking about giving John Dorsey an interview, they were going to go the GM route, and then all of a sudden, all right, Jim Caldwell is going to come in for an interview. So maybe they are looking for a head coach first. But anyways, I asked him about Eric Bietany, just like we said, like how do you really know? That this guy was it's a credit in Kansas City, we don't we don't know. I mean, things haven't looked good up until a couple weeks ago for Matt Nagy in Chicago. I mean, maybe he can save his job now, but I don't know. I mean, who knows? Maybe Andy Reid is just he's the he's the genius, kind of like Bill Belichick in New England. A lot of his assistants haven't been great head coaches, but here's what he said to your point. Quote: Here's what you do know about Eric Bieniemy. You know he's a great communicator. You know guys around the franchise really really love him. And you know that the way he gives Patrick Mahomes information allows him to be more successful. So I don't know what plays he's calling and what plays he isn't. But I also think he has a good enough understanding of the things they did in Kansas City where he can get somebody from that family to come in with him to help develop the Texans in order to take some of the creativity that we've seen other teams use to be successful. You mentioned Kevin O'Connell, somebody like that maybe, who thinks similarly. So maybe he is that great CEO who can handle things. But, we don't know. I mean, that's, that's part of the, the gamble with any coach, isn't it? And you hope, and you hope
0: he gets a shot. I mean, if he wants it, you hope he gets a shot because it's good. You do want to see these guys that are having success get their, their dream opportunity to be a head coach. But until you're behind the scenes interviewing those guys, I was so fortunate to be a part of that. I learned so much just from my own growth, um, to, to talk to those guys and see how passionate they are when they interview. I mean, they're putting their light. I mean, they're putting it out there. And it was really cool to see all those guys. Really, they all interviewed very well. Um, It was just really – you have to be there to know it, though. And and who you pick first for Houston, head coach GM, we talked about that. That's important.
1: Can I want to tell you a story real quick, but let's crack open that beer you got over there because I think it's uh, time for beer number two. Well, for me, I'm sticking with the
0: Frosty IPA for number two. Do you want me to – You're number two. I got to pick it up. What do we have
1: here? Well (laughs) –
0: We got our trusty,
1: You'll Shoot Your eye Out. Love it. You shoot your eye out. Again, we're here at Hamburg Brewing Company, majestic God's Country, Hamburg Brewing Company. And I love this Spice Winter Ale. Shoot your eye out. You got the leg. You got the BB gun. Christmas classic, the Christmas story. All right, Jim, I want to ask you this. Oh, here, cheers. Cheers. Cheers to everybody out there. Hopefully you're uh, happy holidays. Having a great Christmas drinking some beer, opening some gifts, seeing family, if you're able, in these corona times. Mm -hmm. But you mentioned just, like, that interview process, Jim. And, like, I've never obviously interviewed a coach, you know, for a team. But I'm just thinking back to when I was in high school um, at Ellicottville Central. I was a senior. And they wanted a student's perspective when they hired a uh, principal or superintendent, the the principal. So I sat in with a lot of the teachers and board members, you know, interviewing these candidates to be the principal at our high school. And I was just, I mean, it was the only time I've ever really been in that that setting in my life for anything. I was kind of blown away at how terrible some of these interviews were. I mean, I'm only 17, 18 years old. There's some guys coming in with like big stacks of papers and folders and setting it on the table. And they're so disorganized and they're, they're stressed, they're panicking, they're sweating. And it was like, it was almost like it didn't matter what they said at that point. It's like, I, I, why would I want this guy to be the principal of this school? And granted, there was one person who stood out that I went to bat for, and I believe he's, he's still around. I'm not sure. Um, but did you have those moments when you're interviewing some of these coaches? Like, oh, my God. Like, you are so unprepared. This is terrible. And please, Jim, feel free to use names. They were all very good and all prepared. <laughs> Sean... Sean was just a
0: little bit more ready in detail in our opinion you know for of the guys we we spoke with the one guy we didn't interview that I really wish I would have I wish we would have was Sean McVay now we were being told to interview him so we had a person put a call in to Bruce Allen with the Washington football team to who knew Bruce Allen and said hey what do you, what's your you know, what are you thinking on McVeigh? And Bruce Allen told our source that he just thought Lily young yet needed some time. After Rex, that wasn't the kind of the feedback we needed to hear. You know, we needed some serious stability coming in, some some structure, some, you know, real. And we're hearing young possibly not ready yet. So we didn't get to him in the first round. And Sean blew the, you know, tearing Kim away so much that we didn't really do a second round of interviews. But when you sit there and think at night, you could have McVeigh, and if we drafted, we could have had the combo of McVeigh Mahomes. (laughs) That one, that one would be a fun one just to see. Not that obviously, Sean and Josh Allen are working out just fine, but McVeigh Mahomes would be a fun combination. Oh my God,
1: do I love these Mm counterfactuals! So, Bruce Allen, Bills fans should be. I mean, they're happy. God, I mean, things are going well, like you said, but. They should be pissed off at somebody, Bruce Allen. He told you guys, eh, no, not quite, not quite ready. Not quite there. He certainly was ready.
0: I, w- I would have loved to have seen his interview because now that we get to know him a little bit and through interviews and right. stories, he's over the top detailed. I mean, he was waiting for this opportunity yeah. his whole career. And I just wish I could have been in front of him and hear his passion and all the plans he
1: had for the Bills. And you wonder, like, like if he is the head coach, is he a little more on board with the Terry? falling in love with Patrick Mahomes or does he kind of think like Sean and want to, you know, give it some time and look ahead to 2018 and wait to get that quarterback.
0: Every coach we interviewed, we asked about the class of Trubisky, Watson, Mahomes. Did you really? We did. And I can personally tell you, there was nobody standing on the table for any of those guys. Wow. They all to a man were okay with ty- keeping Tyrod for their first year. As we see, let's see, I'd love to see more of Tyrod. You know, Anthony Lynn knew he could be successful with Tyrod. Obviously, he brought him out to the Chargers because he, he had a familiarity with him, coached him, and knew he could just run his offense. But to a man, they all wanted to give Tyrod that chance, which I see. You know, you want to be a first-year coach. Hey, you're, this is your big opportunity, and you're going to take, you know, quarterback from Texas Tech or Clemson quarterbacks, which have been successful, and is that the system you want to run with those guys? And Trubisky was a wild card. Um but none of them stood on the table for Mahomes. It would have been fun to see if there was a guy and say, hey, if we, if I get the job, I would do anything to coach yeah. Watson, coach Patrick Mahomes and coach any of them. Yeah. It would have been kind of been like, oh, okay, well, let's talk a little. Let's, it maybe would have opened our eyes even more to those guys than it did because we're sitting there talking to all those guys and none of them had a passion for
1: those quarterbacks as well. Wouldn't you love to know what Terry's thinking in that, in that role? Like, cause he's, all in on Patrick Mahomes and like nobody from you to Doug to these coaches, nobody is is getting on board with him this whole time. Same thing Terry thinks about
0: every day. He's sipping on red wine. (laughs) Why didn't we draft him?
1: And yet, you know, maybe, I don't know, this is just me talking. Maybe a turning point was that second half against Pittsburgh, right? Uh He's a Pennsylvania guy, and and we've talked about that game. That was a moment. It felt like Josh Allen really broke through. He can stand in that pocket, have a blitzer in his face, deliver against a very good defense. And Trey White's making plays on defense. I'm not saying you'd rather have Allen and White than Mahomes, but if you're going to have a consolation prize, that's pretty damn good. And we're
0: proud of that. And and to be honest, and Doug and I are both proud to be a you know we were fortunate rules. His- you know, wanted our input on their search and 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 the help. And Sean has proven to be, you know, an outstanding head football coach. And Josh Allen is now. They've done a, You know, they they saw the future for him. So, yeah, I, I think there's a lot to be happy with. I'm just saying that McVay Mahomes
1: combo <laughs> wouldn't be <fun. laughs> wouldn't be too bad. I'd love right? to see that. Wouldn't be too bad. All right, well, we gotta to uh gotta hit another ad here, Jim. So just hang tight. All right, guys. Indeed. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site. According to ComScore, Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes indeed match your job criteria. You can contact them the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer is valid through December 31st. So you got a few days left there. Terms and conditions apply. Well, Jim, that was a lot of fun. And we're going to have Doug Whaley on here next. Maybe talk a little bit more about this, uh, you know, hiring a head coach thing, interview Doug, thing. What do you think Doug, Doug wants to
0: talk about? Yeah, you know, I think we need to find out a little bit on some of those interviews when uh, Rex Ryan was selected. I mean, that was an extensive search that they did. I don't know if Doug will remember all the names, but, you know, Shanahan with the 49ers was in that search. Frank Reich was on that search. Adam Gase, Hugh Jackson. So Doug will have a nice little feel for maybe what he learned first time around and then the second time around. Well, Rex
1: is a clown, so maybe we uh, can kind of, Doug, you know, maybe get him to rip him, you know? I can try.
0: Well, his brother
1: Rob Ryan doesn't have a problem ripping us. Right, right, yeah. Rob, you know, <clears> the <throat> thing about Rob Ryan, though, his defenses always were top five. Oh, wait, no, they weren't. They were usually bottom two. So it's qualified.
0: We were only the fourth ranked defense <sighs>
1: yeah. under Jim Schwartz before Rex took over, but whatever. I think, you know what? We got to talk about because this is worth like a full hour. You know, that was the year I covered the Bills in 2015, Rex's first year. And from day one, I mean, privately, yes. Publicly, Jim, I don't know if you read our coverage, but, like, even publicly, the Preston Browns, the Mario Williamses, the Stephon Gilmores, all of these guys, like, premier players in this defense, hated that scheme very early on. And we'll we'll you know we'll unpack some of that if, if listeners want to listen. I mean they hear Rex Ryan every day on ESPN, and um, I don't know if he wants to be a coach again. Maybe that's a cushy job for him, but um, I think it's worth the discussion at some point. So, all right, that's going to do it for us here at the Go Long Podcast. Darn Monus, that was a lot of fun, Jim. Um, up next is our conversation with Doug Whaley. You can um, read all the Go Long coverage anytime. GoLongTD.com. Sign up for the newsletter. It's free, you know, to get the occasional story. And if you want every single feature, profile, Q&A, everything, 7 bucks a month, 70 a year would be eternally grateful. Our family would appreciate it. That would be awesome. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody who has subscribed and listened to our podcast, Jim. I've noticed a lot of um, reviews, a lot of five-star ratings. It's been great. I think people just love listening to something a little different, love hearing some storytelling. I, I can't wait to keep doing this. It's fun, like you said. Fans spend a lot of
0: time, money, and, and, you know, effort into following their teams, and they should hear some of the stuff that happens behind the scenes.
1: Alrighty, guys, we're back with, uh, Doug Whaley, the great Doug Whaley for our weekly spot. We gotta get you up here to Hamburg, New York, so you can join us over some beers here, Doug. How, how can we get you to, to drive north here? Maybe, maybe post pandemic.
3: Post-pandemic, but I like the new digs and the setup. It's very festive. The fire in the play and the back- background. I mean, geez, I, I want to come right now.
0: <laughs> so, Doug, we're enjoying their Frosty IPA, but they have a new beer that they're releasing very soon called a Little Bit Lager. Now, in honor of the Bills.
3: And it's- oh, I like
0: it. Pre-game sample of it before it's released. It's outstanding. But the, the people want to know, what are you sipping on this morning?
3: Well today I'm going for a nice little brunch after this, so I have to start it off with a little nice rose right out the gate. You know what I mean? Um, that, that's just how I do it for brunches. And then we'll, we'll uh, see what the rest of the day brings me. When you guys were in Buffalo, did you ever go to any of like the,
1: the brunch spots that had like the bottomless, whatever's, Bloody Mary's, mimosas, all
0: that stuff? Did it's that- probably safe to say that Doug and I went everywhere <laughs> in Buffalo while we were together.
3: Yeah, I mean, we do like to eat. And, I mean, one of our thought processes when we were doing that is we should have a scout's guide of where to eat in every city that there's either a college team or a pro team. So we are foodies, and I think we got to start having a segment here on on food, fellas. Well, my wife, uh, Gina.
1: Gina Meatballs on Instagram also has Feed Me Buffalo on Instagram. So if anybody wants to know where to eat in Buffalo, you know, maybe we bring her on and we start talking about this. Absolutely.
0: Whoever the Bills play that week or whatever the game of the week is that we're talking about, this week it's the Patriots on Monday Night Football. When I think of Boston, New York, I think of Neptune Oyster for me that I've ever had. Doug, I don't know where your favorite place in Boston is. I'm putting you on the spot. So if you don't, if it doesn't jump off, that's okay.
3: Yeah, I'd have to go to Neptune as well. Uh There are some places, though, that uh I, I think there's some, especially in the north end, there's some nice Italian places, and there's going to be some that are very commercialized. But if you go with someone you know, there's some in the cut, as I saw those iodine places that just lay in the cut that uh, are just off the chart.
1: When you said Boston, I, th- I thought you were talking Boston, New York. My, my- <laughs> just, a, just a short drive away I was like I've never heard of that we got the Boston Hotel we got Neptune but
0: hey I'm sure you have great places there too
3: there's one or
1: two spots
3: yeah no doubt uh, that's why I, I, I tell people when they ask me about my Buffalo experience I said the one thing I will always say about Buffalo is their food has to be some of the best that I've had in a city and I'm not saying there, there's some restaurants that I would say that are in Buffalo that you could put in any city in the world. And you wouldn't say it's the best, but you'd be like, hey, you need to go to try that place. So the food there was unbelievable.
0: So, Doug, we covered the coaching search that we went on to find Sean and and covered it pretty well. I wasn't necessarily a part of that first coaching search when, you know, when you guys decided on Rex, when the Pagulas decided on Rex, but you were a part of that search with Russ Brandon and the Pagulas. And there were so many names in that search that you look back and find fascinating. Just like when you go back in drafts and look at, wow, man, that guy went in the fourth round. We could have had – Kittle went in the fifth round. Man, you and I were at Iowa watching him practice, and we definitely saw some good things. But we didn't see this this dominant tight end. It really should have been a first-round tight end at this point. I mean, the whole NFL missed on him as well. But when you go back and look at that first coaching search and you look at Shanahan, Frank Reich, Adam Gase, Hugh Jackson – what did you take away from those guys that, that helped you in that second search, the things you really wanted to focus on?
3: Well, to really set the, the scene is, if you remember, the Pagoulas had just bought the team in October. So this first search, we kind of we really wanted to give them a total spectrum of the type of coaches that are out there so they could get a feel for what they really wanted in their first coach. So we went from an up and coming offensive guy like Adam Gase, the full spectrum all the way to a two time winning Super Bowl coach like Mike Shanahan. So I, we wanted to expose them to every type. So, again, like I said, they could get a feel for, oh, I think this is what we need for our organization. But like you said in there, we had Frank Wright. When you talk about Frank Wright, you want to talk about a truly, truly excellent person. When we were interviewing, you could see his emotions rising to a level that it almost brought him to tears, what it would mean to him to come back to Buffalo and lead the Bills, to show the people that supported him all the way through his career to come back and bring them a winner. I'm telling you, the guy welled up, and it was it was a true emotional experience for him. So we knew that this guy, if we hired him as a head coach, Was going to lay it all on the line for the people of Buffalo and the fans. So it was, it was very impressive. He's an intelligent guy and you know, Monas, he is one of those guys that he's not a rah rah guy. He's a more of a, a teacher and leader, quiet leader type. So it was, he was very impressive. But the thing that, like I said, that stood out the most was how much it would going to mean to him and what he was going to give from deep down in his soul for the Buffalo Bills. Then you look at a guy like Kyle Shanahan. This guy from day one, he had been fired. He had even actually quit a job. But he had the most supreme confidence in his ability and what he could bring as a head coach. And it was borderline cocky. But for people like me and people in the football industry, like, well, that's what you want in your coach you want a coach that believes in his system what he can bring and what he can get out of players and he actually gave us some some breakdown of some of the coaches that we would be playing against in our division so he had already done a studying on hey if we go to this division we could do this we could do this that offensive coordinator and even other offensive coordinators around the league hey you may if you talk to this guy ask him about this ask him about his system that system was out out of play in the 80s he hasn't done anything for that so he was a student of the game very confident and a very strong personality borderline and I, and again for me it didn't bother me and I, it didn't bother the Pagulas. but I could see him interviewing with some other people and being turned off because of his bravado but as you see that bravado translates to his players and they always say your team takes the makeup of your head coach and you can see it in the 49ers.
0: Doug, I have a question for you that is, I can't stop thinking about the last two nights. Since the Jets beat the Rams, I'm going to catch you a little bit off guard on this one because I can't, I just haven't stopped thinking about it. If you're the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars right now, okay, you're now in the number one spot. You have the, you know, you can, you have a chance to change your team for the first time, really maybe not for the first time, because they've had chances and they've missed. Mm-hmm. But now they have a chance to get it right with Trevor Lawrence. They have the first pick. Would, would you be offended as an – if you're the head coach, you're Doug Marone, and you're the owner of the Jaguars, Khan. Does Khan have a right to go to Marone and say, hey, Doug, whatever it takes to lose this game, We want this number one spot. Now, here's where you're going to struggle. Marones, nobody knows what his situation is. That's up in the air. Football player, the players aren't quitting. Those those guys only know one way is how to win. So you can't say there's no such thing as, hey, we're not laying down. That's a behind. Hey, let's go for some things this week. Let's do some off-the-wall things this week. Would that be out of his right as an owner to say, I don't care what happens. We need to lose
3: these last two games. As I told my daughter the other day, who makes the gold makes the rule. It's the golden rule. He's signing the checks. He can do whatever he wants. Now, he's going to have to do it in a tactful way that doesn't bring the eyes of the NFL or the media on him. So I would sit there and say, hey, Doug, I would lay it out. First of all, I don't. I think they need to keep Doug for the end of the year because you guys know when you have that interim coach, for some reason, there's a little bump in everybody's play and they end up winning at least a game or two from the interim coach. And so Doug, you're here for the rest of the year for sure. No doubt. But I would also say, Hey, Doug, we need to plan for the future and put it under the guise of let's start playing some young guys. We know what you have in Gardner Minshew. You know what you have in, in Glennon. Let's, Throw in one of this practice squad quarterback. Let's start evaluating the roster for the future. This year is out of, it's done. You know, it's out of sight. We're going nowhere. But if you truly want to be here next year, let's see what we got and go from there. And that's how you can set it up where you, you stack the deck against your guys, but you also, you, you get some benefit out of it because you look and see who these young guys are. Hopefully these guys don't go out and ball and pull out a victory, but at least you, you set yourself up to lose the game. I'd say. You guys never
1: really had that opportunity. It's an opportunity. I mean, this is a good thing to be in that position. I mean, being stuck in seven and nine, eight and eight, it's the worst place to be in
3: football. I mean, if you like, if you guys are in that position. I mean, imagine it's like it's it's tough. Like Jim said. Yeah, but it's tough, like Jim says, because anybody that's been a competitor, as soon as you lace up those cleats and you step on that grass, you're not thinking about old draft pick or the future of the organization. You're thinking, I have to ball out to either be on this team or show my wares for someone else so I can still make a living. And any competitor, as soon as you don a uniform, all you want to do is win. All you want to do is win, win, win. That's it. That's all you want to do. So – from a player standpoint, you can't harness that. But from uh, management and ownership, you can tweak it enough that you stack the decks against them. And it, it's a tough thing because even as an owner, even as a, a, a management or a coach, you, you still have that, I want to win. But if you have the macro picture and not the micro and the long-term where, hey, I'll take a, a couple losses in these battles to win the war, of having a franchise generational talent that can keep me battling for championships, not to win two or three games. You just got, you you got to suck it up and and, and look for the greater good. Can you do
1: that with Doug Marone? I mean, you guys know Doug, Jim, you know, Doug, Doug, you know, Doug, is he like, where does he and his future fit into this? Oh, I know Adam Schefter kind of had, it was kind of a vague report. Like he's safe. But what did he mean, like, the rest of this season? Did he mean into 2021? The fact that that even comes up, I mean, people were surprised, like, oh, maybe he is their coach next year. If that's the case, like, you kind of give him, like, a promise, hey, you'll be our guy, just, you know, lose these games. No.
3: Exactly. Here's what you, he's not wired that way, and that's why you take it out of his control. You say, hey, this is what – I'm the owner. This is what I want to do. And then he can say, I'm doing it, and then just say – and and – Go with the program or say I'm not. And then the owner has a decision to make to say, well, then you're not going to be my coach anymore starting today. The and then that's where it gets tricky again. And you get that interim guy and then everybody's like, Oh, Doug's out. I, I got to start balling because this is a new regime coming in next year. So I got to put the best tape I can out there. So that's when you get that extra oomph and then it might be counterproductive. So it's a, it's a very tricky situation. Uh, I'm glad that. I'm not in that situation as an owner to say, let's win. But whoever's going into that Jacksonville situation next year or this coming offseason is hoping that these guys don't mess it up.
0: So, Doug, what was the biggest lesson you took from those? You know, you were actually involved even a little bit with, you know, Coach Marone's hiring, mm-hmm. and then, you know, Rex's hiring, and then obviously Sean. Did you learn things each way? Where like it became clear to you when we're sitting in there and you're hearing answers, or you're like, "Oh
3: yeah, this this guy's ready." Now the biggest thing I learned is is what we did for the Sean coaching search. That was we got with the ownership and said, "Let's set the vision and the plan from you guys, Pagula's, myself, Jim. Let's set." what we need in a head coach, instead of going out and saying, oh, I like that, or I like that, or let's the coach tell us their vision and what they want to bring to us or the organization, have the organization set the vision and the plan. And then the coach that best fits that, you hire. And it's proven not only with the bills, because what we decided is we need a CEO with a great plan and preparation, but not only just for, the coaches and the player, but for the whole organization. And that was brought from our meetings before we went on the coaching search. And if you look at the consistently competitive franchises in every sport, there's a few exceptions. You can hire a Bill Belichick and he sets it. That's great. But it, ownership does it like at the Steelers. They're struggling a little now, but they set that vision and the cultures from the ownership. So all you do is really you find pieces that complement that are willing to Adapt that and enact that culture and that vision. And if you choose the wrong person, you don't have to scrap your whole organization, your whole team, and the whole vision. And then you start spinning your wheels, and that's what happens if you you keep spinning your wheels. But if it starts from the top, it's more plug and play. Oh, that guy, let's he works perfectly. Put him in there, and that's where you can start getting traction and moving forward. And that's the biggest thing I learned through my three coaching experiences and being in different organizations.
1: Before we lose you, Doug, I mean, any regrets? Three coaching searches? Is there anything you would do differently?
3: I wish I would have known from the the first one how that we needed to set a vision and a plan and then find the person that fits that instead of seeing what coach we think can fit and say, hey, I like what he's bringing to the table Let's put it in his hands or that person's hands to lead our organization. I, I and I, I just doing the research since I've been out talking to people and just looking at successful organizations. The common theme is it's set from the top and the people underneath buy in. And it's it's one of those things. And, and it, I keep going back to the Steelers because obviously I had that success there. It was one of those things, you conform or you're out. There's no, oh, we got to do this, or we got to do that. And you can see now it's starting to creep a little away from that with the Le'Veon Bell, the Antonio Browns. And that's why they're starting to fade off a little bit. But before it was, what's the guy's character? Oh, we got enough strong leadership, whatever the guy's character is. He's coming in and he's, he's towing the line. There's, it's just nothing about it. You you were in, saw that in Philly, right, Monas? Those guys, it didn't matter. Saints.
0: All the successful teams have the common theme that you just said. You're adapting to us, or you can get out of here.
3: Yeah. yeah. It, 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 it's just not an option. I mean, you could see it. Guys would walk in, and they were just like, oh, yeah, I got to do it. I mean, guys, you'd, you'd read the character and be like, are you sure? But you have to have that strong leadership, not only in the locker room, but from ownership.
0: Hey, Doug, it helps, though, when you have or Roethlisberger and those character issues come up, and you're drafted in the fifth round. Yes. Uh, yeah. You know what? Well, he might be all right. Hey, Carlos Williams. We weren't in a position to draft Carlos Williams. No. No, right. not at all. We didn't have the other things in place. <laughs> when I look back on a guy that we knew was
3: a high risk,
0: but man, was
3: he good. When he was on, he was, he was right. Oh, he was right. Even though I, I think he still wants me to drink some Clorox instead of some uh, <laughs> Rose. I still was a big fan. He was a talented sucker, and he was out of all guys we've ever we ever cut. He was one of the hardest, and he doesn't know this, but I was the one saving him for as long as we did. I was fighting for the guy. So he'll it,
0: never understand.
3: No, who hit
0: who loved him more than anybody was Terry Pagula. Yes, absolutely, no doubt. So, but not in the NFL is because of him.
3: Yeah, uh, yeah. And, I, and 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 yeah, exactly at some point you have to have some self-evaluation and self-awareness. Now, the other thing that I, I know we did that we could have done better and you're seeing it now is there's a difference between having talent and having a talented team. We had a collection of really talented players, but they weren't a talented team. So you can have a guy that may be less talented, but fits in that team structure better than a guy that's more talented. And, and that's, That's the issue you have when you're always changing coaches. When you think about it, four years, we had three head coaches. I think we had four offensive coordinators. And if you add Rex and Dennis Thurman, five defensive coordinators in four years. So you're always saying, oh, I need this guy. And then you get to the point where you just look at it. Talent can play in any system. So you just try to get the most talented guy because you never know what system you're going to have from year to year. But if you have that consistency at the coaching position and the system, then you can start putting those pieces of jigsaw puzzle together and have a talented team, and that's exactly what the Bills have right now.
1: Man, I I really want to talk Rex Ryan. (laughs) I mean, everything you're saying, guys, is the opposite of, what, jumping out of an airplane, eating dog biscuits, walking up to the podium in a Clemson helmet, signing an IK and Impali. Um, I mean, we could go on and on, but those players on defense hated the scheme from day one. We're pretty honest about it.
3: Well, about he, he, you conform to
1: us. Um, that wasn't Rex Ryan, wasn't that?
3: It wasn't. Well, he, he, but if you think about it, here's Rex and I, I'm not defending him. I mean, his whatever people think of him can think of him. But when he was a head coach, he had immediate success with a veteran-laden defense that knew his system inside and out. That system he kept through, through his coaching career. And once he got to a new team, if you don't have guys, because that's such an intricate system, you don't have guys that know that system, he needed to pare it down and make it easier and, and grow his system with his players. But he came in and said, This is what I'm running, and we're throwing you at the book, the whole book at you, the whole playbook, and you need to know it. And like you said, you need to conform to me instead of me crawling, walking, and then running with my system with the players we have. And that, I think, I know is one of the reasons why he didn't have success later on. Once the Bart Scotts, the Jimmy Leonards, once those guys were gone, the new guys just didn't have that grasp in that system. You need to be in that system three, four years. And that's how it used to be in the Steelers. Rookies would very rarely play unless you had a Troy Polamalu, but that's a Hall of Famer. But rookies, you set, you did uh, special teams, you learn the nuances of the defense. So by year two or year three, the bet would age out. You got that rookie; he's ready to go in, and you're not missing a beat with mental errors. If you throw that all in, in at one time in a new turnover and in a new team, you're just going to have so many mental areas because it, it's such a difficult system to learn. And there's so many checks. There's like four or five checks on every play.
1: I guess I was more <coughs> thinking like the culture conforming it. He didn't really.
3: Yeah. Well, well, that speaks
1: for itself. I mean, well, I, I really want to eggy on Doug and, you know, poke and prod, but maybe we'll save that for another day because I'm sure you have things to say. And
0: we could tease. I think there should be a, another episode down the road, maybe during free agency when trades and free agency happens, the, the shady
3: McCoy trade. Oh so yeah. Yep. That yeah, we'll have to uh, give that one. I think that one we'll, we'll, we'll have to give that one. We'll have to maybe even talk about the Darren Lee conversation. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. We got some good ones. <laughs> we got some good ones. Can't spoil it all here right now, but uh No, not at all. Some
1: That was great. They thank you so much. Um uh, for time hey. as always and Man, have a Merry Christmas. Great to see you.
3: Merry Christmas, fellas. And like I said, uh, let's, let's plan on spring. I'm going to come up and, uh, be in person for the, for the next one. And, and, uh, I'm looking that, that fire looks nice and cozy. It is. It is. <laughs> You're a hamburger brewing company. So yeah. thanks so much. All right. Enjoy it as always. As always, fellas, take care.
1: That was the go along podcast. Thank you everybody for listening. Just remember to uh, rate, review, do whatever you'd like. We appreciate it thank you this is we have we don't have a name for it yet but we want to have John Jr., John Russo Jr. here from Hamburg Brewing Company on to talk a little beer, man. I, this, this podcast is about football, it's about beer, it's about America. It's about having here, a good time. It's about having a good time. And we're here in front of a fireplace at your beautiful establishment, Hamburg Brewing Company, and uh, you, you're going to introduce one hell of a beer the world right now.
2: Sure. Yeah, I want to thank you guys for, uh, for bringing me on here. Um, well, seeing as this is an NFL-oriented uh, podcast, we have uh, no choice but to introduce a new beer that we've got coming out for Bill's Playoff Run. Um, we call it A Little Bit Lager now, uh, and it's a cool hybrid between kind of an IPA and a crispy, clean lager. Um, it is unfinished beer. Cheers. Beer, as I uh, can describe to the people, is probably in the... Uh, Puberty stage of life for a teenager <laughs> uh, in terms of uh, start to finish. So it's got some time to go. It's aging. Um, definitely hazy right now. It's going to be a lot clearer when it's finished. But uh, we've got a ton of hot character in it, um, and it's also going to be really crushable. So we're very excited about it. Built it off another beer we made.
1: It's a great quality to have in the a beer and just tasting it early on here. It's incredible. Love the name, obviously. Uh, but tell us about the beer first. Like, wh- how did you kind of fuse these tastes together? I'm so fascinated by that process.
2: What makes this one special? The world is uh, inundated with IPAs right now. Everybody's got an IPA. There's 4,000 different IPAs you can go by. Um, and you know, for me, some of the best beers ever made are great, clean lagers. Um, and, and any good brewer will probably tell you the same thing. Can't hide anything in those beers. Um, so we've tinkered with some things and we decided that we wanted to do an IPA version of that. Um, some people call them dry hop lagers, India pale lagers, whatever you want to whatever you want to name it. Um, so we took the hop component of most IPAs, we found the snot out of a lager, um, and once it's aged out, it's just going to be smooth. Uh, you'll get a lot of that hop flavor, you'll get the aroma, uh, but less bitterness, a um, little less hearty, it's, it's going to be something easier to drink.
1: I, it's people come down on different sides of the IPA debate. I love IPAs. Like, I, the Louis is number one in western New York, anywhere in the country. Love it. But you're right. I think what makes Hamburg special is the diversity. You guys ha, kind of have a beer for, for everything, every, every time of the year,
2: every mood, everybody's palate. You got it. You are correct, this year especially. Um, this year, things changed so much that it gave us some freedom to make some things we don't normally make, smaller batch stuff. Um, and we made well over 25 different beers new beers this year in a 16 ounce can I mean, it was crazy we went back and added it all up We've never done that before um, so it is about having fun and the brewer's been having a great time this year just trying on new stuff and that's going to continue into 21 so um, we got some new things coming out and uh, a lot of innovation coming for six months of the year a little bit longer now. A little bit longer you have, now. You came up with that, right? Was it Actually, now? our head brewer, Jason, uh, he came up with the name. And full disclosure, we turned around liquid concepts and artwork inside of a week. Wow. Which has um, never been done before here. So uh, it's going to be great. We're launching the first week of January, uh, towards the end of the week. So it'll be ready, hopefully, in stores just in time for the first playoff game for the Bills. Love it. Love the look.
1: Whether you love the Bills or you love America, red, white, and blue. Exactly. There it is. For those of you that can't see it. there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Get it
0: in
2: there. Beautiful.
0: Beautiful. So as a sports football show, we have to ask you one question. You don't hide the fact that Michigan State is an important part of your life. Extremely.
2: Taps a lot of kegs in Michigan State.
1: <laughs> no better way to learn. Some would say that's where the love of beer is rooted, right?
2: I would say that. that. Michigan's got a lot of great craft beer, so I learned uh, a lot about it. So, so then the million-dollar
0: question, is Kirk Cousins a good quarterback? Yes. Would you take Kirk Cousins or Josh Allen? For the Bills? <laughs> For you as a general manager?
2: Uh, I think at this stage I'd take Josh Allen. Um, Kirk Cousins certainly my favorite Michigan State quarterback. Sell a lot of records there. Did great. Uh, but I think the the growth in Josh Allen and the up-and-coming that he's really had, it, it's it's kind of a cool story. And, uh, you know, like he's on one team. You know, Kirk got around a little bit.
1: It's true. I think that's well said. It is. We can't wait to just, you know, get people in here and drink beer and hang out and watch the Bills, watch any football game, any sporting event. Anything at all. Michigan State basketball. Yeah.
2: We'll watch the walls in here. We don't care.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm sure, you know, those in power will will open it up soon. You know, we can put some heat on them with this podcast. When the time is right,
2: everything's going to be great. well That
1: was great, man. Thanks so much for coming on. And uh, everybody, please come on down to Hamburg Brewing Company, pick up some beer. Buy some retail. I mean, I love the swag that you guys have. I mean, the logo, everything is just the best.
2: That's Matt. Matt's, uh, Matt's a swag man. He's all about it. Uh, We've got to
1: get Matt Piazza on here next week. Maybe. Nice. All, right. all right. Thanks a lot, guys. Cheers.